welcome to this edition of the Heart Podcast. I'm Dr. Alistair Lindsay. Today we'll be discussing a topic which I think many clinicians are often asked about and on which some interesting evidence is accumulating. And that's the topic of chocolate consumption and its association with cardiovascular disease. We'll be discussing a paper that's been sent us from the University of Aberdeen entitled Habitual Chocolate Consumption and Risk of Cardiovascular Disease Among Healthy Men and Women. And I'm delighted to say that one of the senior authors, Dr. Fio Mayent, joins me on the line now. Uh, Good morning. Good morning, Dr. Lindsay. Well, thank you very much for sending in your paper, which we greatly enjoyed reading here at heart. And of course, this is a topic which will interest many people. Can you tell us what we know to date from previous work about chocolate and cardiovascular diseases? Yeah, chocolate is interesting food item because it contains some good ingredients as well as some ingredients which are not very good for your health, for example, sugar and fat. So many studies obviously have interest in chocolate and particularly with the cardiovascular disease and they have looked at various studies. More interest has gained uh, in the area of dark chocolate because it was believed to have that a good ingredient called flavonoids in chocolate, which also we can find in, for example, red wine, tea, etc. So there has been some evidence to say these flavonols are associated with the reduced risk of coronary heart disease, and also they bring some health benefits through cholesterol reduction, blood pressure reduction, etc. So. Um, there is more evidence around the impact of uh, darker chocolate, which got high cocoa content, rather than the white chocolate. That's the, the main reason why we wanted to look at the habitual chocolate consumption, not just the dark chocolate consumption in, in a population level. So you went for chocolate consumption that was more day-to-day, perhaps more representative of, of what people are eating. And to do that, you had data from a study called Epic Norfolk. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about this cohort study? Yes, Epic Norfolk is part of the 10-country collaboration in Europe, which uh, originally aimed at investigating the association between dietary pattern and the cancer risk. So Epic Norfolk is one of the two UK centres where the Cambridge investigator recruited uh, participants from Norfolk region of UK. Uh, the reason being the Norfolk region of UK has a, a fairly stable population, mainly Caucasians, uh, and represent the British type of food consumption. So that was set up since 1993, and the first baseline health check was conducted between 1993 to 1997, and all the events were follow up to date. So this is a long-term fellow of study covering UK population involving participants who were aged 40 to 79 at the baseline. So this is the middle and older age population of uh, UK, one of the largest studies in the population-based study in UK. So we, we look at the chocolate consumption reported at the baseline in the Epic Norfolk use something called the, the food frequency questionnaires, is that That's right? Correct. So shall we talk a little bit about that? How does that work? Yes, food frequency question actually asks the diet pattern consumed over the past year. So it's arguably better than 
something like 24-hour record where you report what you have eaten or seven-day food diary where you record everything you have eaten over seven days because a year over a period of year covered all the seasons because we know that there are some seasonal pattern of eating behavior. Food frequency questionnaire kind of averaged it out because the participants were asked about their consumption over last year rather than a week or a 24 hour. But it comes with its own disadvantages because then you have to ask them what you have eaten last year. Therefore, there may be some recall bias. There are particular area uh, concerned with the food frequency questionnaire is either under or over reporting, and particularly under reporting in cases like chocolate, where people who are obese are, are more likely to under report. So that that's something we have to be mindful about that using the food frequency questionnaire, really. Yes, absolutely. And moving on from that, you also had good clinical outcomes looking at mortality and also hospital admissions. But you didn't stop there. You went a step further and you also decided to add to that data by doing a, a systematic review and meta-analysis. Is that correct? That's correct because, you know, obviously this this study itself is based on UK population and therefore we have a team member who have expertise in the systematic review and research synthesis. And so we wanted to look at what is the overall picture, what is the reported evidence. So we want to find out the accumulated evidence in a, a quantifiable manner. Therefore, we went ahead and conducted the systematic review and meta-analysis of uh, the study, which we can combine. Obviously, not all study we found in the systematic review are suitable for meta-analysis. So at the level of meta-analysis, there were about nine studies which we could include in the meta-analysis, but different studies reported different um, outcomes, so we have to pull the similar studies again. So there's a different number of studies are pulled into into the meta-analysis for different outcomes. Okay, so we should move on and talk about the results. And I, first thing I noticed was that you have a good long follow-up period. Uh, the mean was uh, 11.9 years. Um, so that's a lot of person years, so over 236,000. Can you summarize for us what you feel were the, the most important findings when you looked at the association between chocolate and cardiovascular disease outcomes? The findings is uh, we look at the three particular outcomes. One is cardiovascular disease, which is combined coronary heart disease and stroke outcome, and, and also separately for coronary heart disease and stroke. So what we have found is in the adjusted models, where we included all the dietary, lifestyle, and portable mediators of the, the association between the chocolate consumption and cardiovascular disease risk, uh, what we found was coronary heart disease hazard ratio or relative risk reduction is about 12%, and also similar trends observed for the stroke is about 23%, and for cardiovascular disease, which is combined stroke and the coronary heart disease, was about 14%. And interesting thing is the risk reduction seemed to be across the board. So the higher the consumption category, the, the lower the risk. If 
gum. So this is the major finding from the EPIC cohort study. We look at, particularly because this is a cohort study, we use a method called propensity score matching, which is usually applied in trials, but it is analyzed more like-to-like comparison, and it shows a similar result as well. And in the meta-analysis, again, we found the significantly lower coronary heart disease risk when we pull a risk ratio of five studies. Um, the relative risk reduction is about nearly 30%. Um, for stroke, when we pull five studies, again, another similar result, risk reduction about 20, 21%. And for the composite cardiovascular events, event outcomes, it's about 25% risk reduction but there are only two studies where we can look at that way. And also seem to be about three studies reported the cardiovascular mortality, which has a quite a good risk reduction of about 45%. So all the results consistently showed that higher chocolate consumption is linked to the reduced cardiovascular risk as well as cardiovascular mortality. Yes. And so obviously that's a finding of interest and in some ways may initially seem a bit counterintuitive. So you were very careful in your discussion section to put in a few caveats, which we probably should mention here. So, for example, we mentioned earlier on the questionnaire that was used to observe how much chocolate patients were taking may be subject to some recall bias, for example. That's correct, uh, particularly with the full frequency questionnaire, because it's over one year period, people maybe more tend to remember what they have eaten over the last month or two. So there may be uh, some under and over reported. How we have dealt with that is we truncated the chocolate consumption at 100 grams. There's only yeah. about 70 people who consumed more than 100 grams, which are what we call as extreme outliers. So even if they were included in the study, the results may be the same. This is partly because when we analyze the data, we can't really analyze the data at the individual level. As an epidemiological study, we analyze that in a group. Therefore, when we group them together, each group contains about 4,000 participants. So any effect we saw in the results are the averaging out or mediated by the less amount of consumption as well. So even with the highest quantile. So if you look at the table one, we reported the chocolate consumption by each category, and not just the range, but also we reported the median consumption, which is uh, 50% of people in that group will consume up to that level. And the interquartile range, which is the higher value, uh, represents 75% of people consume that amount or less. So if you look at the table one we reported in quintile five, which is the highest consumers, the median chocolate consumption was 25 grams and 75th percentile or a higher quintile range was 39.5. So about 75% of people consume less than 40 grams of chocolate, although within that group, consumption ranged up between 15.6 to 98.9 grams per day. So this is a kind of a small print which probably people should be aware of when they interpret the results.
I mean, one thing we should also speak about is that you looked at a population that we're really taking what we should call commercial chocolate products. So that's very often milk chocolate. And we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that a lot of the evidence previously has been focusing on the possible beneficial effects of dark chocolate. Were you surprised to see the potential benefit you did in this population taking largely milk chocolate products? Yes, in a way, yes. I personally expected there might be a U-shaped relationship because like many variables we know, like for example, alcohol consumption, these sort of food items, which have both good and bad ingredients, could have a U-shaped relationship. So too little may not be good, but again, too much might not be good either. But in, in this population level, whose chocolate consumption is fairly moderate, what we found was that the higher consumption, up to 100 gram per day, did not have any major adverse event associated with that consumption. Uh, in fact, it may, there may be some link in uh, risk reduction associated with it. So that is a little bit of surprising finding. Well, thank you. Well, this is a fascinating topic. We could talk, I think, for a lot longer, but there's um, unfortunately only a limited amount of time. So I'd like to just finish with one practical question, which is if a patient is to come into a clinic and ask their doctor about the potential benefit of taking chocolate, what would you recommend? Because clearly, given that some of the limitations we've talked about, that we know that there are several things such as sugar and chocolate that may be detrimental to health. What sort of practical advice can a cardiologist or or physician or doctor in general give to patients about chocolate intake at this stage? A couple of points. Number one, I think the most important thing is at the consultation level with one-to-one with the patient or public that need to be taken into account of their risk profile. So that's one thing. Uh, what we found in people who ate chocolate are physically more active as well. So yes. it seems to be they are consuming more calories because they are physically active and therefore they need more calories. So it seems that if somebody is wanting to eat chocolate, then there is no reason not to eat them if it is a moderate amount, provided they are reasonably healthy and they have reasonable physical activity, which would uh, counter the impact of all the back ingredients like excess calories and sugar. So I think at the end of the day, the key message is you don't necessarily need to avoid chocolate because you're worried about your cardiovascular risk. So if, even if you have things like diabetes, and if the sugar control is reasonable, and if you are physically reasonably active, and eating chocolate now and again to enjoy uh, shouldn't matter. So that's a key message, really. It's, it's to do with the more of the a bit of a quality of life issue here, I suppose, because you don't necessarily need to avoid with the fear of having increased risk of cardiovascular disease. So that's probably what the key message to the clinician who faced with such questions. Thank you very much indeed for a fascinating discussion. Thank you very much. Thank you.